I was um, thinking about whether or not I should be preaching this message because, um, you know, Pastor Ted, he tells me, he's like, oh, preach your favorite psalm. And uh, I preached a couple of psalms that were my favorites from previous years, and, and this psalm uh, kept coming back to me. It's not my favorite because it's difficult, <laughs> and it's not easy. And uh, I thought, well, maybe instead of preaching my favorite psalm, I'll preach something that I fear a lot. <laughs> and uh, I fear. I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you why. Like In my early 20s, uh, when I used to uh, pastor a church when I was uh, early 20s, and I, I, I feared this passage because I didn't know uh, the implications of what, what Psalm 90 verse 12 really meant. So teach us to number our days so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. What does it mean to number my days? What does it mean to number your days? Does it mean to take out a calculator and say, okay, I got this many days, hopefully this many days left in my life? I don't know. I mean, is it, is it that we should be avoiding sickness and, and trouble? Or, you know, like, so I can just make sure that I maximize my time and... What if someone passes away the, the next week that I preach this message, right? And it's just kind of, it's, 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 it's not an easy passage to preach on, but I, I, I just pray that the Lord will encourage you as he has encouraged me uh, through this study. I titled this message, Our Dwelling Place, Our Dwelling Place. I mean, uh, the reason why this message is not entitled, um, you know, number our days or something like that is because the very first verse, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Moses says this in the midst of a situation in Numbers chapter 20 where he is standing alongside of the Israelites and Joshua and Caleb looking at a distance into the promised land. And God at that point had already... Um, made his judgment upon Moses and said, you will not enter the land of Canaan because you struck the rock and you did it in anger. Um, but there's been a, a couple of situations. This is the one psalm in the entire Psalter that describes a situation that's pretty clear. And that's Moses and Caleb and Joshua right before they enter into the land of Canaan. This is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Uh, this, is not, uh, this is the only song of Moses in the Psalms, but there are two other songs in the Pentateuch, Exodus 15 and Deuteronomy 32, as well as a blessing of the tribes of Israel in Deuteronomy 33. If we connect it with uh, any particular time in the life of Moses, the best suggestion is, again, Numbers 20. And part of the historical setting is probably best understood by the incidents recorded in Numbers 20. The first is the death of Miriam, Moses' sister, and the sadness that ensued in that. And the second is the sin of Moses by striking the rock in the wilderness, which kept him from going into the promised land. And then third, the death of Aaron, Moses' brother. Lots of interesting things are going on, right? Sin, death, sin, death. You're right at the promised land. God says you can't go in. And it begs the question, what is really the purpose of Moses' life at that point? He's come to 120 years, as Deuteronomy 31 says, and he says to Caleb and Joshua, you guys go into the land, I'm just about ready to pass. I believe Moses is a man of God, not because of what he's done, not because he was so brave to speak for God, you know, on the Mount Sinai, coming down to the people and giving them Ten Commandments. Not that he was just brave in bringing the people out of Israel, sorry, out of, out of Egypt, but he's a man of God because he knew how to count his days. He's a man of God because he knew what it meant to number his days. And he knew what it meant to treasure God in such a way that his life was fulfilled. Filled with purpose. The big idea of this message, if you're taking notes, is this. You and I must treasure our relationship with God. Because that is the only reason 
we can live with purpose. Let me say this one more time. And I don't like saying this statement because it's not an easy thing for me to even understand. You and I must treasure our relationship. And as I was thinking about this psalm, it's important for us to know what the treasure is. The treasure is our relationship with God because that is the only reason we can live with purpose. There's no other reason why we want to, you know, to have life, especially as a believer. If we want to say, apart from God, I can do this. Apart from God, I can do this. Well, then as a believer, how much of God do you want in your life? Is it an ounce? Is it seven ounces? Is it 10 ounces of God? Is it 20 ounces? One day, you might be thinking, you know what? I'm tired of this. I don't want to live the Christian life. That's why the foundation of this psalm is not about numbering our days. The foundation of the psalm is not about the brevity of life. The foundation of this psalm is the relationship that one person has with God. And that should be the treasure of your life. Because that is the only reason why you can have purpose. And you can live with purpose. I, I, I don't know about you, but there's often times I, I, I count days. Like I, I, as a teenager, I uh, used to play on sports teams. I used to do a lot of fun things during the week and uh, hang out with my friends. But it's the weekend I always look forward to. So I was counting the days. I was like, okay, it's Wednesday. Okay, I got three more days. Then I can do whatever I want on Saturday, hang out, uh, you know, go, maybe go to the beach during the summertime or, or, or whatever. I, I just looked forward to the weekends. I lived that way. And I don't know if you often live that way. And even now, I, I, well, maybe I don't live for the weekends now. I'm, I'm always preaching and something, or doing something else on the weekends. But, but anyways, but my point is that you're living for something. You, you want to be able to have uh, a relaxing vacation. You want to have certain things. You want your life to be a certain way. Your expectation is not a sin. But it's an expectation none, nonetheless. So counting our days, you know. Looking forward to the weekend seeing our next paycheck so that we can purchase the things we need or want. There's counting down the days to, unfortunately, a funeral service. Or count, counting down the days until you can go see a loved one. Counting down the days to a great concert to see Taylor Swift or someone. Uh, counting down the days the next exam and you have to be challenged your SATs or, or other types of exams. Counting down the days that you can see the grandkids. You, you, we, we count the days and we often ask the question, why am I counting? Because there's great purpose, right? I want to enjoy this. I want to see this person. I want to do that. It's not a sin. It's a good thing. But what purpose is there? Like, I, I'm tired, honestly. Like, I, 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 sometimes I, I feel like, you know, we, we have so much to look forward to, but I'm not sure why I'm looking forward to it. You know, you, you, know, you live this life and you realize, you know, the same thing happens over again. Oh, yeah, there's a new place to go. Okay, I want to try this type of food. Oh, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Oh, yeah, we have to be here with our family. Like, oh, there's just different expectations and we have to fulfill them. And our life just seems to be a never-ending cycle of expectations in my own heart and in the hearts of other people for me. And I, I mean, I just, I get stuck. Do you guys get stuck too? It's just kind of like a cycle. And then you're just tired and then you get depressed and you're like, oh, no. And then you got to Netflix it. And then you're like, okay, fine, I'm okay now. Next day. Oh, so how, much, how then should we live? What purpose do we have on this earth? When we think about the time we have in a calendar, and, <laughs> and then we get afraid. And some of us, during the summertime, I was talking to somebody in the hallway, and they said, oh, you know, during the summer, it seems to be, you know, really free. But then, but then when it gets piled up, they're like, oh, there's so much to do, so many places to go. It's fun and all that, but it's still a lot to do. We so often get afraid, and some of us are paralyzed, even with the fear of the unknown. What's going to happen to me in this job, with this health situation? What will happen to me next year? What will happen to me tomorrow? What will happen to, what will be the trajectory of my life in the next few days, next few months, next few years? How 
Do you look at your future? Because that is what this psalm is talking about. And by the way, this, talk, this psalm is not talking about your future, nor your past, nor your present. It's talking about your relationship with God. So the big idea, once again, you and I must treasure our relationship with God because that is the only reason we can live with purpose. And then we'll talk about the brevity of life. The first section in this, in this passage is on the conviction and experience of Moses. That's the first point. Verse 1 and 2. There is conviction and there is an experience that Moses had. Why would Moses say at the beginning, Lord, you have been our dwelling place? Past tense, you have been our dwelling place. You have been our dwelling place, not my dwelling place. He's talking about the nation of Israel. He's talking about the people he's with. He's talking about the experience that he has with people... As the people have gone through the, uh, the wilderness, tabernacling in different places as the tent of meeting moves from place to place and the Ark of the Covenant moves from place to place, he has an experience that sticks with him. The dwelling place of God is with him. The dwelling place of God is with him. God is his refuge. That's an experience. It's not just intellectually knowing, oh yeah, I know God is with me. What does that mean? For Moses... He went through, and, and, and the rest of Israel, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Must, much of which was right in the area called Kadesh Barnea, which is just miles away from the border. Think of that. Wow. Several dozens of years stuck in one place, and you're only a few miles away from the border of the promised land. What an experience, right? And then the death of Miriam, the death of Aaron, his close, you know, like, confidant like why why how are all of these happening all at once and why is the conviction and the experience of Moses still these two verses in the next slide Lord you are our dwelling place you have been our dwelling place in all generations the word Lord here is not Yahweh it's not the covenant keeping God the word Yahweh in the Old Testament is the covenant keeping God in his love for his people this word right here Lord is Adonai Adonai is creator God who creates God who is sovereign God who knows all things so Moses says here Lord you have been our dwelling place in all generations and the word dwelling place really means refuge. You have been a place of refuge for me. You have been a place of refuge wherever I'm going, wandering in the wilderness, not knowing what to do, not how, knowing how to lead these people. And you have been my dwelling place. Do you know that this morning? Do you feel that throughout Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday, throughout the week? Do you know that God is your refuge? Do you have that knowledge? Are you learning that God is your refuge? And that, 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 is, that is what Moses went through. It's his conviction. And it says here, in all generations. It's not just future generations, but generations in the past. So he looks to the past, and he says, he's thinking along the lines of the patriarchs, Abraham. He's looking to, you know, Isaac, Jacob, all of these. And he's knowing that throughout all generations, God has been their dwelling place. It's the confidence, the conviction through the knowledge of what has happened in the past in history and then the experience of what he's gone through in the last 40 years. And then he goes on, he says, before the mountains were brought forth, before the mountains were ever brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and, and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. There's permanence. There's no beginning, no end. God is everlasting to everlasting. God knows the beginning from the end, our beginning from our end. But for him, there is no beginning and there is no end. There's, there's such power in that. There's such confidence in that, right? God is everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This is a statement that he makes. This is a conviction of his life. He ain't just saying, oh yeah, somehow I just want to say that everlasting God, you are everlasting. <laughs> that is not what he's saying. He's saying my life depends on you because you are everlasting God. Because you, from everlasting to everlasting, you are always still God. By the way, like when we look at the word God, you know, people say that as a swear word. People say that word in many different ways. When we determine that word in our hearts and we look at Scripture, 
it means something very different, right? He is completely other. He is not like us. He is completely eternal. And he had no beginning. And he has no end. That is who we have faith in. That's who we trust in. Deuteronomy 33 verse 27 says this, the eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. 1 Chronicles 16 verse 36, this is when David built a tent for the Ark of the Covenant to go in uh, to the tent and he says this, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen. And praise the Lord. We need to be reminded, which by the way, I think they had to be reminded over and over and over and over again, God is who he is. We need to be reminded at church, in our homes, in, 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 when we turn on the radio and we listen to uh, Christian podcasts and reminding of ourselves, God is everlasting. God is everlasting. He has no beginning and he has no end. And because of that, we can praise him. We can praise him. So the next portion of this is uh, the next uh, verses from verse 3 to verse 11. The reason for the brevity of life. The reason. And there's, there's several reasons, but there's one main reason for the brevity of life that will make you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. But this is the word of God, and we ha- I have to preach it. And this is the truth. So let's go. You return man to dust. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. You return man to dust. Genesis three nineteen. This is the um, the truth of the matter: is that from dust we come, and dust we shall return. I don't have any dust with me right now, but literally, that's what I'm made of. Literally, I'm dust, and dust I shall return. One day, everyone here is going to die. And you know, I'm, I'm saddened to, to to say this, but you know, many of our Friends, relatives, and family members have passed away. They're six feet under. They're cremated. Dust. That is the reality of life. Yes, you read in Genesis that we're created in God's image. In the image of God, he created man and woman. That's true. But we're dust. We're nothing special. We're nothing special. This is, this is, I'm not preaching this. This is, a, this, is, this is what Moses is saying. And this is what Moses said through Genesis as he was teaching Genesis. This is what God said as the last part of the curse. When he said that you will return to dust. Our life, we think is of so much value. We just think, oh, I'm going to do this, do this, become this, do this. Woo! I'm gonna just, we are dust. Yes, we are created in God's image, but this is the, the interesting thing. I'm talking about this right now, but as we go on in the passage, we're going to talk about our relationship with God, and therefore we will understand the perspective of this verse. We, are, we have an expiration date. It says in verse 4, for a thousand years in your sight are but yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. A thousand years in God's eyes, well, a thousand years in our lifetime, well actually we're not going to live a thousand years so we won't even know what that looks like, but a thousand years in general is like one day to God or like yesterday as it passes away. So if you can remember what happened yesterday, some of us don't even remember what happened yesterday, including myself. Sometimes I just like, oh yeah, it just went, came, came and went. I know I went to bed. I know uh, I ate some food. 
I had something good last yesterday. I don't really quite remember what it was exactly, but you know, you just kind of it just comes and goes. But the pur- the purpose of this verse is not to tell us, oh wow, you know, like this is kind of weird. Like, why is God thinking this way? The purpose of this is to have the perspective of God so that we can actually understand that a thousand years is like that to God. Because God is eternal, not like us. He's, he exists out of space and time, but he came into space and time to show us what he is capable of doing, which is to save us from our sin. Now, that is what we are called to live for. For the things that last last into eternity because of what has happened at the cross. But it doesn't negate the fact that one day we'll live 70, 80, 90 years old, 100 years old, some of us. But what is 100 years old anyways? It's like less than, 10 10 times less than, than one day according to God. It's like eight hours to God or something like that. That's 100 years. What do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like, let's get perspective here. Let's not forget that we serve a God who is, 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 is understands time and wants us to understand time in such a way that, that helps us not to fear what happens next, not to live in guilt and regret, but to live in the moment and to trust him and to say, God, what is your will? It's a scary thing, isn't it? I'm thinking, I was thinking about this. I mean, one of the reasons why I didn't preach this when I, in my 20s is because I dealt with a lot of regret in my past. And then I also deal with a lot of like, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. And I don't know if I'm capable of doing what I want to do in the future. And I'm stuck in the middle. And I'm just like, do I go here? Do I go there? And I'm just one day, I feel depressed. One day I feel, uh, you know, like, like I'm top of the world and I'm boasting and I'm telling people I'm going to do this and that. And then... At the end of the day, we have to ask the question, how does God think of one day in our life? And how does God think about 60, 70, 80, 90 years of our life? He thinks of it like this. It's just so quick. So, um, 2 Peter 3, verse 8, he says, but do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So, And then he goes on to say, you sweep them away as with the flood. And then verse 6, in the morning it flourishes and, in the, and is renewed, and then evening it fades and withers. It comes and goes. It comes and goes. Kobe Bryant, when he passed away, many of us are like, wow, like that... He was just an amazing player. Like, how can someone that young pass away like that? And, you know, like him and his daughter just tragically died in a, um, in, in a helicopter accident. And then the entire world was like mourning and like trying to figure out why. He was so famous, so rich, so much he could have done. He could have coached the Lakers. I don't know could have done that but he could have done so much but why his life huh and then after a few months we're not talking about Kobe anymore it's it's he just came and went I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to apologize if this is like you know I'm not trying to be like belittle anything but like I loved Kobe Bryant too. He was a great player. But the thing is, like, I didn't remember when he died. I think it's a couple years ago. I'm not sure some of you might know. But the thing is, like, we, we don't often think about how our life is going to end and whether or not people are going to even care afterwards. You know, like, we're just thinking, like, well, I'm just surviving today, maybe hoping for tomorrow. Maybe I have some regrets I have to deal with in the past. Just live. But there is hope at the end of this passage, but let's just continue on here. So why does death happen? Why do we die? Let's look at verse 7. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. The truth of the matter is this. 
God is angry. He is filled with wrath. And the main reason why you and I will pass is because of that. He is angry at sin. He is angry, rightly so, because he is holy God and he deserves to punish sin. And that's why you die. That's why I die. That's why I return to dust. That's why you will return to dust one day. Notice verse 8. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. You see, Moses here has a, has a proper understanding of his sin. He doesn't just say, oh, well, I'm just going to hide here. Hopefully God will say, you know, it's, it's okay, Moses, you did a lot of good stuff. You know, well, just hopefully I'll give, you an, I'll give you a life eternal. No, like Moses, when he struck that rock, God says, you know, you're not entering into the land of Canaan. And also, you're going to die in Mount Nebo, which is only, um, you know, like line sight away from the Jordan River. Like, oh, my goodness. What, kind, what a way to pass. What a way to die. But you know what? The amazing thing, the amazing thing is that Moses understood that the reason that he would die, the reason that everyone dies is because we sin. The reason why you and I will die one day is because we sin. But we don't know whether or not we're going to die tomorrow. You don't know whether or not you're going to have another breath in the next five seconds. We're assuming so. We're hoping so. And by the grace of God, we do. You know, thankfully. But think about it. A thousand years, it says one day to the Lord. And here we are looking and say, oh, I got time. What am I going to eat for lunch tomorrow? I'm going to do this next week. And I'm actually going to go set up this next month. And I'm going to go on vacation in December. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to be in a relationship by February or whatever. You know, like, I mean, some of us are just planning and planning and planning. And then we just don't realize, like, our life is so short. So what are you doing? What are you living for? What am I living for? What is God doing in my life? Why am I a Christian? How can I actually say, God, you are my life. You are my dwelling place. How does my conviction match up to my experience when the world is pressing on and saying, don't worry about God. Don't see him. Don't care about him. I got my plans. And you know what? No matter how much the preacher says, yeah, I'll listen once in a while, and then that's it. But we're designed by the Lord to know him. To actually say, God, I want to have this relationship so solidified. I want to know that I know that I belong to you. That you are my dwelling place. You are my refuge. Moses knows that he sinned. Moses knows that um, God uh, uh, sets Moses' iniquities before him. The secret sins are brought to the surface. Did you know God knows everything? And, and do you know another thing? God actually is not tired of judging. That's who he is. And that's what he does. And that's why we die. We die because God judges sin. Now the question is, if God judges sin then how do we actually get saved if we die? The answer is at the cross. That's why we preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's why there's very little time now. We have to go and we have to preach the gospel and tell people that there is a hope and you can be saved. You don't have to just die, go six feet under and not know where you're going to go afterwards. You can have eternal life by the everlasting God, the one who, is, who has no end, who has no beginning, and who can be able to give you eternal life. That is our hope. And that's my hope. We, we can be as like meticulous in our supplements and taking all exercise and all kinds of, I mean, I'm trying to do better in that myself, but it's not because I want to live longer. I just want to, you know, I just want to honor the Lord. Because, you know, you have to understand why you do what you do, right? And so often I live in fear and I'm just like, oh, if I only do this, if I only relax a little bit more, less stress, I won't be sick in this area. Or, as, you know, if I, if, I just, if I just take more vacation time, you know, 
my family would be happier. And that's, you know, going to satisfy the desires of my life. Brothers and sisters, it's not a sin to do that. But what it is a sin is to completely disregard God's purpose for your life and to the brevity of your life. The brevity of your life, right? For our days pass away like you're under your wrath. Again, he says wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. <sighs> What's a sigh? A sigh was just literally one second. That is how quickly life can go. Even if you live 100 year, to 100, 120 years old like, like, like Moses did. That's what Moses said. The guy was 120 years old. And it was a, it was a sigh to him. Like, we need to know that this is God's perspective for us. It's not easy to understand. It's not easy to accept. But this is the truth. Our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. And then verse 10, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason, by strength, 80. Yet their span, span is but toil and trouble. They, soon, they are soon gone and we fly away. Basically, the illustration there is that we will die and we will go somewhere. The span of 70 or 80 years, it's not, it's not that bad. But then the reason, why, why do you want to live a life filled with toil and trouble. And this is exactly the same challenge that, that Solomon had when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Everything, there's toil and there's trouble, there's hardship. What's the meaning of life? Everything is meaningless, meaningless. And he's right. Because to a certain degree, your life will end and it will end with all these toils and troubles. So sometimes I have to ask the question, I don't want to live in a fairy tale world in my mind, but I want to know what is the purpose of my life before God? Because this, there's a reason for this, right? Their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. So often we feel entitled, right? We say, well, I don't want toil, I don't want trouble, but I want 90 years. I want to be able to live this life, I want to have a lot of fun, I want to have no regrets. But the reality of the matter is that you can try to do that your entire life. But the reality of the matter is that without God in your life, there will be no purpose at the end. All the vacations, all the money, everything. There's no purpose. And the greatest toil and the greatest trouble that's going to be at the end is eternal damnation. Some people are living their best life now, as it says in you know, Joel Osteen or whatever book he's written. But like the reality is, is this. You know, the best life is not now. If you're a Christian, the best life is in the future. When you know that you know that this life with all its troubles are passing away and that you belong to God and that he is our dwelling place. But some people who live this life and they're like, oh, this is the worst life now. And they don't have God. Well, actually, their worst life now is not in this life but in the life after in eternal damnation. See, we all have to measure and see what really matters to us in this life. Who considers the power of your anger, verse 11, and your wrath according to the, your, to the fear? I, I studied this verse and I was thinking, who? Who considers the power of your anger? And do I consider the power of God's anger in my life? Now, when you think about, before we jump to the cross and before we jump to like just, you know, just putting the gospel in so quickly, let's just marinate this a little bit. Who considers God's power to take your life out right now? We all deserve death. And even as a Christian, 
I still deserve death, physical death. So do I consider that power and, that, and, and the wrath of God? Or do I live kind of like, oh, um, you know, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus and everything should be okay. I'm going to live a long life. And by the way, I only want just the, the love of Jesus only to, to be a part of my life. But, but when, it, when we talk about difficult things and, and the brevity of life and, and po- you know, possible things that can happen, that my life can end, I just don't want to talk about don't want, to, don't want to think about it. God's wrath is the reason why we die. Because we deserve death. But I want to give you some hope here. And this is where I'm going to share with you the beautiful purpose of our God for our lives. Verse 12 the beautiful purpose of God for our lives. Verse 12 to 17, there is a wonderful purpose and this is the purpose. Verse 12 says this, so teach us to number our days. Moses says here, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath? He, he's, he's, he's contemplating on what that power will look like in in. Life and in death, and then how quick, life, how, how quick a person's life can go. And then he goes on, he says, so teach us. Here's the positive side. Here's the beautiful part. Here's the part where Moses, as a man of God, can say, there is great purpose for my life, even as a 120-year-old man. And, and, and this is it right here. So teach us. Whew. When you say teach us, When Moses says, teach us, he better be asking God to teach him. Because if he wasn't asking to be taught, he shouldn't ask that question. If Moses was not expecting God to teach him, if Moses did not have a relationship with God where he was constantly asking God to teach him, to show him, to reveal to him, if he did not have that relationship with God, verse 12 would not exist. Verse 12 exists because of a relationship. Verse 12 exists because he has a humble heart and he says, teach us. And he doesn't just say, teach me. He says, teach us, teach all of us. Teach all of us, all the people of Israel. He wanted all of them to learn. His prayer was that God would teach them to number the days. Now, a question is, what does it mean to number our days? Now, does it mean that God is going to pull out a calculator and say, well, by the way, yeah, I think this is going well for you. You're going to have kids in a few years. Okay, I'm going to keep you, you know, keep you alive. I don't know, but you know, you didn't mess up in that situation, so I'll minus a few years of your life there. <laughs> if you were to receive a, a, a notice, a memo from God saying, you have an expiration date, and this is how you're going to die. You're going to die because of this disease or that or this circumstance and situation. What are you going to do? You're going to look at that piece of paper and there's one of two things you could do. One thing you could say, you'd do is you're like, oh, there's so many things I missed out on. I better go do it. I better go, you know, throw myself out of a plane with a parachute. And yeah, I only have 10 years anyways. So I'm just going to keep doing that and just, you know, figure out what I should do to have fun or to enjoy or to, or, or to this, this relationship that I've been missing out on. I need to go pursue that. Or this job, I better put everything into it, Right? If you only had a certain amount of days. But you don't know. You just don't know if you have 30 years, 40 years, 10 years, 10 minutes, 10 months. We just don't know. I had a friend who uh, played basketball with me a long time ago. He's 20, 29 at the time. Playing basketball. I wasn't there. A bunch of other my friends were there. And then he just dropped all of a sudden, 29 years old, healthy, has three children, just like healthy, strong. And he dropped and he had a cardiac arrest. And my friends were like trying to save him. And he went to the hospital 
And I rushed to the hospital to see him, and uh, he was in a coma for about four days, and then he died. Previous to that, um, his daughter, who was three years old, also had a cardiac arrest and died. I think it was a month or a month and a half. I don't know why. I don't know. And we, we, we honestly don't know this side of heaven. But thank the Lord for these verses. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Right now. Teach us to number our days, number our moments, so that we can gain a heart of wisdom, not a heart of complaint, not a heart of like, oh, I wish I could have done something, but teach us to number our days, which means God's perspective of time is that we ha- we, it's brief, that our life is brief, but our life can be filled with purpose, meaning, strength, hope. There's dual meanings to this passage. That we don't have to be like, oh, well, God's you know, eternal calculator up there. No, he's not. He, does, he, he, make, he doesn't give you a memo. He, do, he wants to keep you guessing because he wants you to glorify him. He wants you to live your life right now for him. He wants to let, allow us to, to ask him, to teach us to number our days, to not treat life as if it's going on forever and I'm, gonna be, I'm young right now, I'm going to live forever, or, or to see it as, oh, I may die next day, so i got to do everything. Okay. Don't live out of fear, nor out of boasting. Live in the moment by saying, God, you can teach me. You can teach me how to live. You can teach me what my priorities are. You can teach me who to love. That is what we need to do. That is the beautiful purpose of God for our lives. Um... James chapter 4, verse 13 to 16 in the next slide, it says here, James chapter 4, oh, sorry, that's not, I'm going to do this. FOMO and YOLO, right? Before we get to James, we're going to talk about this. Many of you know FOMO, fear of missing out. Many of us have maybe some of those fears. It's like, what a, I, 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 I might miss out on this, so I only have a certain amount of time. And then I also have heard this from many people. In the last few years, YOLO, especially after the pandemic. You're like, YOLO, you only live once. There's this whole pandemic, and we could have died, all of us, or whatever. And we, you know, but however, we need to live to our fullest potential. So some of us, you know, some people just went and did other things, changed their careers, got married really fast. I mean, I'm, uh, just a lot of things happened. But yes, there's, there's some, something going on. And these two things are in exact opposite of so teach me to number my days so that I can gain a heart of wisdom. It's completely the opposite. Because what this says is I'm standing over here, God is over there and God has nothing to do with my fears. I have to deal with me, my fears, my fears which means I have to deal with it. If, if someone tells me that I, I, I'm missing out, then I have to go there. I have to do this. I have to figure it out. I have to fix it. YOLO. Oh, you know what? I have to take every opportunity to make sure that I do whatever I do for me because this is what's going to make my life the way it is. I only live once anyways. That's so secular. That's from the pit of hell. Do you know that's, that's completely opposite than a, from a relationship with God. And then I came up with something, I don't know if it's FOLO. So it's a mixture between FOMO and, and YOLO. So it's fear of losing out. It's fear of losing out. I gave this example in the past uh, uh, this, uh, message. For example, you, you're, 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 you're living your best life. You have everything that you need. You have a beautiful family. You just got a brand new job. You have a brand new home. And everything is going well. And all of a sudden you die. You can't come back from the dead and say, oh man, I lost out. Oh my goodness. Can someone tell my wife I really lost out? Can someone tell my kids, can someone tell, I really feel I lost out? No, you're dead. But we live so many times as if we're losing out. We're like, oh, I'm losing out on this, I'm losing out on that. And it's it's, it's an 
it's, an, it's not an uncommon temptation. We're losing out on something. But that's not the way that we should live. We should live as humble servants of God, asking God, teach me, teach us to number our days so that we can gain a heart of wisdom to discern what is good, to discern what is right, to discern what is a priority. And the first thing that you do when you do that is you pray and you ask God, God, do I have the proper perspective of who you are? Because I know I'm not like Moses and I struggle with a lot of these fears. Fear of losing out, fear of missing out. But if I ask God, God, please teach me. Please teach me to know what life is like and to know and understand from your perspective what life is like. That will give us humility. That will gain us a heart of wisdom. And ultimately, that's what we need, right? Is wisdom from God. Not wisdom from chat, GPT, AI, and all kinds of stuff, which we think we can handle, and we say, oh yeah, I don't need God because I have all these answers. No, we need God. We need God to teach us because we have a relationship with God. We need wisdom. James chapter 4, verse 13 to 16 says this, boasting about tomorrow. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. That's not a sin. That's not wrong. But check this out. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So what James is saying here is like, don't just assume that what you have and what you do right now will exist tomorrow or the next day. It's not to live in fear. Instead, verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and or that. Too many of us live as if we boast about tomorrow. Oh, I got this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm making plans. It's not wrong to make plans. It's not wrong to say, well, what's going to happen tomorrow? But if you rely, if you trust in your schedule, if you trust in everything that you've planned on, you're not getting what this passage is saying. Because in verse 16 it says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. Meaning, so often we trust and we boast and we say, this is what's going to happen. And, and without God in the picture, our hearts are a factory of idols. Our heart can be a factory of pride and just arrogance. Humble yourself. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will show you what verse 15 means. We will live and do this or that if the Lord wills. By the way, I get these text messages sometimes saying, Lord willing this, Lord willing. I'm not making fun of it, but hey, like how sincere is that? Lord willing, I'll do this. Lord willing, yes, it's kind of like a cliche. But seriously, Lord willing, if you survive today. Lord willing, if you're still alive tomorrow. Lord willing, if you are able to get that job, and Lord willing, if he is going to provide a way for you to sustain yourself. Lord willing. This is the perspective we must have. And this is the way forward. This is the goodness of God in the very moment that we live. Not in regret or not in boasting. But we live in the moment by saying, God, if it's your will, I'll do this. If it's your will, God, and it's so hard to let go. It's so hard. It's so hard to let go of our past. And it's so hard not to boast about our future. But God calls us to do his will. The Lord's will. Next slide here. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And here's the passage once again. God wants us to live in wisdom, not in the in the unwisdom of the world, making the best use of time. Time is important. When God says there's a thousand years it equals one, one, one day, then what's one day? One day is like a millisecond? <laughs> then it's very short. So use your time wisely because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. God does not say go do the will of God. He says understand the will of God. 
And that the powerful thing about this is that God does not demand our performance and demand us to be like, oh, this is a um, moralistic sermon that's being preached. This is not about moralism. This is about dependence on God. This is about the very next passage, which is the fear of God. Ecclesiastes here. Ecclesiastes. Next, next slide, please. Sorry, I'm getting passionate. The, 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 the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. At the end of Solomon's life, this is what it's all about, to fear God, not to be afraid of him, but to reverence him, to say, God, every time I go through something, I don't want to go to you as a last resort. I want to go to you as a first resort. I don't want to just put you in the back burner. I want you to be part of my life, and I want you to work in my life in such a way that I can see you working in my life. I want to, I want to fear you, Lord. I want to fear I don't want to live in fear. I want to fear God. This is the beginning of wisdom, right? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and of knowledge as well. But this is the whole duty of man. C.T. Studd says this as a missionary to China. He says this, one life, one, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And how can you have What's done for Christ, the center of your life, is to continue to remind yourself that Jesus has done it all for you and that you can live a new life as a believer. You can live a new life with great purpose. You don't have to be afraid and you can live for his glory and his glory alone. Because at the end of the day, Moses did not know that Jesus Christ was going to come, you know. But, he, but the amazing thing is we do. We are looking into the past 2,000 years ago. It is Christ who died on the cross. It is Christ who has given us salvation. It is Christ who has given us purpose to life. It is Christ who has overcome our fear and helped us to see that our guilt and our, and our sin has been washed away. It is Jesus Christ who is giving us eternal life. God's Son. A perfect sacrifice for us. So that we don't have to live YOLO, FOMO, FOLO, whatever. We can live in Him. Let's keep going. The years are... Uh, where are we now? Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on us, your servants. And here is an extension of verse 12, but he's actually getting into a portion where he's saying now, have pity on us. Have pity on your servants. Have compassion on your servants. He's recognizing, Moses is recognizing that the very purpose of his life is not for himself. It's as a servant of God. That's why he says here, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. He's saying, when will you come back to us? When will you reveal to us the purpose of our life? When will you help us to take the next right step? I don't understand why my life is so short, can be so short. It feels so short, and we don't know when we're going to die. But he says this, have pity on us. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Then we may rejoice and be glad all our days. He's asking God to satisfy him. He's not asking God for more days in his life. He's not asking God to change a situation. He's not asking God for any of that. He's asking God one thing, and that's one thing we need to do every morning and every day is to be God, satisfy me with your love. That steadfast love, that chesed, that, that covenant-keeping love that you have for Israel. The covenant-keeping love that you have for us through Jesus Christ. Satisfy me in the morning with that. Help me to preach the gospel to myself every morning so that I do not turn my phone and try to find love and success and satisfaction elsewhere. Satisfy. The Christian life is about being satisfied in God. And then it goes on, it says, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and as for many years as we have seen evil. His request is this, we've gone through a very difficult time, 40 years of wandering. 
And his request is very simple. Make us glad for as many days. So he's saying from now on, Lord, give us the joy. Make me glad once again. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Help me to see that gladness is a way of life. The joy of the Lord is my strength, Nehemiah 9. This is the way to live, is to live under the strength and the guidance of God's joy. Then we number our days. We say, oh, life is short. That's okay. We have the gladness and the joy of God. He says, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us as for many years as we have seen evil. In the last two verses here, and then we'll close. As a father shows compassion to his children, sorry, uh, Psalm 103, 12 to 18, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows no, it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Let's remember that. Church, let's remember that. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. This is the relationship that we have with our God. And maybe some of you are sitting here and you say, I don't have that relationship. I really want to have that relationship. You know what it is? You know, you can pray at any moment, even in this service, and just pray and say, God, I, I, I receive what you've done in Jesus. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. I believe, God, that you are real and that you are true and that you love me and that the only way that I can have salvation and even purpose or meaning in this life, as I know it's short, is through you. You can say that right now. You don't need to, you know, pray a sinner's prayer or anything like that, although some of you have, and that's good too, but you can pray right now at this moment or when you go home. The steadfast love of the Lord, this is what is, is, is the best return for our investment, if you so, so to say, as our faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the love that lasts forever, forever. The last two verses, and I'll close. Let the, your work be shown to your servants. That means God's work, his love, his purposes, and your glorious power to their children. This is when he knows that the next generation were going to go into, they were going to go into the promised land, but he was praying that the glorious power of God would be made, made known to the next generation. And then finally, he said, verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be, be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. There is purpose. So when we number our days, we ask God, teach me to know the brevity of life, your perspective of how short life can be, my life can be. But at the same time, give me an understanding of that so that I can live with wisdom. Live with wisdom, not not like an unwise person in this world, but with the wisdom of God. And with this wisdom, I get a chance to do everything for the Lord. And as I do things for him, as I work with my hands, as I do all of those things, I want God to establish those things. I want God to establish the work of my hands. There's great purpose in that. So at the end of the day, it's not about the brevity of life, it's not about being scared about when you're going to die. It's about having the right perspective of who God is and the right perspective of his relationship with you and the right perspective of how you're going to live your life in his will and for his purposes. So I'm going to pray right now and just ask for wisdom for my own life. I know this has been not an easy passage. I mean, it's been really challenging my heart and my mind. Lord God, uh, Lord God, just thank you, Lord, that your word can give us so much hope. We live in a world where everything just seems handed to us or we just desire everything to be easy and easy answers and avoid the hard questions. 
But God, thank you that you give us answers from your word. Thank you that you are not afraid of telling us through Moses that there is death and that life is short and that we should, we should maximize our time, that we should, we should live in the moment, not in fear or in boasting, but, but, but live in the moment for your glory, to do your will, to do your purpose, to love you, to understand your will more, to fear you. Lord God, I know all these topics, Lord, require us to even seek you more and to ask you what that means. So Lord, I just pray that Psalm 90, Lord, will not just be a, a psalm that is, um, that is just preached, but Lord, I just pray that Psalm 90, this particular psalm will stay with us and will help us, especially in times when we don't know the purpose of our life. So we pray these things in Jesus' name.